Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Tofke, Kofke. Uh, he is a teacher and also personal finance expert, author of several books. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. You have ideas that will help everybody, whether you be a teacher or not. Welcome to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me on. Just tell us a little bit about your background as a teacher and why you got into writing about personal finance. Yes, well, um, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be a teacher after having my ninth grade civics teacher, so that kind of inspired me. And uh, just uh, over the course of time, my wife uh, married a teacher as well, and we did well handling our finances, and other people said, gosh, you guys really know what you're doing. You should write a book to help us out. Never thought too much about it, but then uh, one day I was kind of home alone, decided, hey, let's just do it. And uh, here we are now. This is my fourth book uh, that, that just came out. And I just you know, kind of want to show others that if this school teacher can do well with money, then they can too. And, you know, obviously with the title, the book is geared towards teachers. But like you said, it can kind of benefit anyone. And just try, I try to come from a real-world perspective of, you know, here's a school teacher. That's all I've been really. And uh, despite that, we have no debt. We invest each month, have an emergency fund in place. And most importantly, we live wealthy lives on a moderate income. What has been the reaction to the books you've had come out so far? I mean, I've had some positives. I mean, you know, and there's some other people who say, oh, there's no way I could do that. It's just, you know, it's impossible. And, and you know, the bottom line is for, for most of us, and I would, I'd venture to say most of your listeners, and I know there's some people out there that, you know, may not make a, a lot of money, so it's going to be a little more difficult, but I would say most of us have enough income coming in to do well with money, but we just spend too much. We have our outgo is way too high, and I think that's where I just try to help people and show them that, you know, you do have the money. Most of us, we can't have it all, and I think that's a problem with a lot of us, that we kind of want everything. There has to be some give and take, but basically it kind of comes down to discipline in your behavior and just setting those goals and working towards achieving them. Now, lately, you've seen a lot of teachers around country, the country in various states going on strike and protesting to the state legislatures to get higher salary. Sure. Are these people spending too much, or, or what is the problem here? All of a sudden, it seems to have exploded, this whole protest from teachers that are not getting paid well enough. Right. And I, I mean, I, of course, you're preaching to the choir, and, and I agree with what they're saying. Um, and, and that's the thing. I did leave teaching for a couple of years a while back and got back into it. And teaching is, unless you're in it, I mean, it's, I know every job can be difficult, but teaching is one of the most difficult jobs when everything that we have to try to juggle. And, you know, for instance, I have students that come to me and some of the home lives that they have, I mean, they've seen worse things in their life at seven years old than I will ever see. So we're trying to deal with that, but then you're also trying to educate them and do all these other things. And I think that's where it gets to the tipping point where a lot of teachers are just like, gosh, we're Put, there's so much put on our plates, and then we're expected, you know, these kids, some of them come in, they haven't eaten, they haven't even slept, and, and then we're expected to have them get these test scores, and they go home, and no one's there to help them. So I just think it was one of those where a lot of people, and it's the right time with all the kind of different protests that are going on, and I think a lot of people just, or a lot of teachers are like, hey, this may be the time to kind of fight to, to try to make more money. And I, you know, of course, you know, as a teacher, I agree with it, of course, but 
I will have to say, too, that there are probably some people out there, and there's studies that show that no matter how much money they make, they're going to spend it all, and they're going to be in the same position. So that's where I would encourage, too, that, that those teachers that are asking for more pay, it, it, that, that, that isn't the magic bull. I mean, yes, more pay, it helps, but if you still make unwise decisions, no matter how much money you have coming in, then you're going to end up broke. So I think you kind of have to look at that as well. Now, you have different kind of definitions of wealth than in the past. I mean, when you just think of the whole concept of a wealthy teacher, uh, that almost sounds like an oxymoron in itself. There aren't too many wealthy teachers out there, actually. So right. the traditional I didn't, say million, I didn't say millionaire teacher, right? I said wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, even wealthy teachers, I mean, they don't. you don't go into teaching to become wealthy, uh, at least that, that I'm able to figure out, <laughs> at least right. not in the K-12. through 12. Maybe college people if they get gigs on the side of some kind, but it's not something you do for the money for the most part. Um, sure. So the traditional definition of wealth is you're worth millions of dollars. W what is a, a better definition of wealth in, in your mind? See, you know, for me, I do think wealth is kind of being able to live out your passions on what you were put on earth to do. And I think that's what most of us want down here is we want to have a sense of worth. And, and I think to me, um, you know, I, I've been able to teach and I enjoy that. I feel like I'm teaching kids to read and write and you can't put a number on that, that you're empowering them to do that. But also at the same time, I'm able to provide for my family and, and I do, I enjoy going to my job. And I think I have met people and I'm sure you have too in your field that they make a lot of money but they hate Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. They dread going to work. And to me, you know, I don't care how fat your bank account is. If you hate every minute of your working life, you're not a wealthy person. So I think, you know, for me, I think that's where the, the word wealth comes in. Is it's, I think you're able to pursue those passions, able to have an income coming in. You're able to provide and do a couple of nice things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a millionaire because there are plenty of millionaires that are absolutely miserable. So having a different definition of wealth, how does that affect people's lives if they look at it the way you're looking at it? Well, I think it just kind of makes you realize that you, you don't necessarily have to take or follow a career field that necessarily pays a lot of money if that isn't your true passion. And, and I think, you know, police officers, firefighters, those types of careers, nurses, people get into them first and foremost, like you mentioned, they don't get into them to, to make a lot of money because... You know, let's face it, I mean, you can do okay, and I'm not saying you can, but the starting salary, especially for most of those fields, is not that high. And most of those people, you have to have some sort of um, passion to go into it. It's just not all about the money, because, I mean, being a nurse, firefighter, saving lives, I mean, that, that's a tough, tough job. So if you're just doing it for the money, you're going to do something else that's a lot easier and not putting your life at risk to make that money. So I think, you know, I, if you look at it at that point of view of, okay, I can be wealthy because this is it's just this all-encompassing definition, and, and then maybe I'll choose a career that I do enjoy, and I'm not just going to something for the money. You talk a lot about setting financial goals and helping people focus on their goals. What, why is it so important to have goals, and are, should they be written down, and are they short, medium, long-term goals? What kind of goals should people have? I think all the above. Um, and yes, I think writing them down and looking at them, I, I think is a great way to do it. I mean, I think it was Zig Ziglar that said, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. And, and I think, you know, I think all sites of goals you should aim for, whether it's weight loss, getting healthy, whatever it may be, but especially when it comes to our money, 
Because let's face it, Madison Avenue spends billions and billions of dollars every year to get us to part with our money. So if we don't have anything that we're shooting for, any goals in place, it's really, really easy to be tempted to go out by the next, the, the latest, greatest, whatever it may be. And when you have those goals in place, it's easier to say no to those things because you're working towards something. And, you know, it's worked well for us. Um, you know, my wife, Tracy, stayed at home for eight years. We lived on my teacher's salary of about 42 grand a year during that time, raising two kids. And we were able to do it. But part of the reason is because we had those goals in place because, okay, this is what we were striving towards. So whenever we saw that materialistic item that we really wanted, we would kind of weigh it against our goals to see which uh, came out as more important to us. But if we didn't have those goals in place, it would have been really difficult to achieve that. What are some of the goals that people should have on the financial side uh, that'll help them become financially comfortable the way you are? Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, you have to have an emergency fund in place. You have to have margin. You know, as a teacher, you know, they, teachers would say, don't write in the margins. You want that space. And I think the same holds true with our savings account. And I'm not talking money that we're investing in stocks. That, that to me, comes a little bit later before, after we've built up that emergency fund. But, you know, I talk to people all the time and, and just are like, oh, I have the worst luck. And, you know, my car broke down or this happened. I mean, let's face it. If you drive a car long enough, you're going to need new tires. If you live in a house long enough, the roof's going to leak. If you have kids, they're going to break something. It's not called bad luck. It's just called life. And I think that's where having that emergency fund, having that focusing on that first and foremost, it turns what could be a crazy catastrophe into an inconvenience instead. So I think that to me is the number one thing that people should focus on when they're starting their financial journey is just build up that emergency fund. That way you can kind of take care of those things that life throws at you. In addition to building the emergency fund, what are what is one of your top goals uh, right now with where you you stand financially? Um, I mean, personally, my top goal now is just to kind of start saving a little bit more for the kids' college. Uh, I mean, that's kind of right now. You know, for us, we're, we're completely debt free. Um, we do invest for our retirement, have a little bit for the kids' college, but not a lot. So I think that is kind of something that we're gearing towards now, just to start you know preparing and. I mean, that's the thing. Living on eight years on the teacher salary, it was really tough to kind of have all those things. And that's where, you know, we did take care of our retirement first, and we'll continue to do that before the kids' college fund because, uh, you know, there is. I don't want them to get student loans, but they have options. There's no such thing as a retirement loan. So, you know, I think a lot of people make that mistake, too, where they kind of put their kids. And I know I get it. I'm a parent, but we put our kids' needs in front of our own. And you know, for me, I look at it like I don't ever want to have to have, I don't want to have to depend on them later on in life. If I don't save for my retirement, you know, th then that may happen. So going to take care of us first, but that's probably um, our next goal is just to start building up those college savings for the kids. So in many cases, it takes a long time to achieve a goal. Say, for example, you want to put a down payment together on a house that might be 20% of the house purchase price. It could sure. take you years to build up something like that if you're not making that much money. Right. How do you kind of deal with the frustration of the long time it's going to take to, to do something like that? I think you have to have smaller goals in place, too, because, I mean, financial matters are 80%, 90% behavioral. And if you don't have some little incentive, two years is a long time to build that up. So I think you make check marks and you say, okay, let's just say, you know, after two years, we'll just say a number. Let's just say you wanted $24,000 after two years. Well, that would be twelve grand a year or $1,000 a month. You could even break that down into $500, you know, or $250 a week, however you want to do it. 
but then you have little checkpoints along the way. And then maybe when you hit a certain milestone, you know, maybe say, okay, after six months, if we have $6,000, maybe we'll treat ourselves to a nice little dinner. And, and you don't want to do too much because you don't want to take away that money that you've worked so hard at saving, but we're, we're human. And I think you do have to kind of reward yourself a little bit. It's similar to most successful diets. Those people that go on diets and they completely starve themselves, it works for a while, but then you can become frustrated and then you go out and you buy a 12-pack of Krispy Kreme donuts and then there goes the diet and then you kind of end up eating more than you normally would have. But a lot of diets that are successful, you kind of have little cheat days built in where you're able to just to have a little bit of something just to keep you going. And I think the same thing holds true with those financial goals is you do kind of have to give yourself a little leeway. You've got to reward yourself a little bit for those certain goals you achieve to help you kind of maintain the focus for the long term. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. He is a financial expert, uh, an author of several books. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. It applies to many more people than just teachers. There's a website you can find out more about Danny and his books, which is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. 
talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kofke. He is a teacher, a financial expert. He's written several books. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. Uh, a website to find out more is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks so much. Tell people what else they can get at that website, wealthyteacher.weebly.com. Yes, I actually have an accompanying ebook that kind of goes with the book. But um, there's a contact form on my website, so if you fill that out, I'll send it to you. It's uh, ways to save over thirty thousand dollars this year. So, and, and you know. Finances, you've got to make it personal. That's why it's called personal finances. So not every tip is going to relate to everyone, but I try to list. There's 145 tips in there. So I, I venture to say you at least could find one that's going to help you save some money um, just to, to put more money back into your pocket and just some of the things that my family has done to try to, to live the best we can on a moderate teacher salary. We were talking earlier about the frustration of how long it takes to achieve certain goals, like putting a a down payment together over several years. Are, are, are there some ways that actually this frustration can help and make things be uh, better in your personal financial life? Oh, I think so. Definitely. I mean, I look at it that if everything was, you know, things were easy, everyone would be able to run a marathon. Everyone would have a happy marriage. Everyone would have a million bucks. So yes, I mean, I think those things that we have to work hard for that we kind of get frustrated for I think once we achieve them at the end, then it just makes us, you know, feel that more empowered. I mean, we had a goal. One of our goals was to pay off the mortgage, which, you know, that was a 10-year-long goal, which we finally achieved, um, but, but it took a long time. But we kind of just looked at it, and I think, you know, for us, it, it, I looked at it a little differently. Like, no one really likes writing a check to the mortgage company. But when I kind of looked at it like, you know what, this is actually increasing my net worth because anytime I make this monthly payment, my net worth is going up. Um, so I kind of just tried to look at it like that, that even though it's hard to part with the money, I'm actually increasing my wealth. And I think when we're trying to talk about our financial path and doing better with that, anytime you make an extra payment on that credit card, you can look at it like, you know what, yeah, it stinks it's not in my bank account anymore, but I'm actually increasing my overall financial picture. So I think taking a bigger, a broader view look of your finances can kind of help you achieve those goals because you know you're on the right track. Now, as far as coming to kids, how do you talk to your kids about money and particularly setting goals and having proper emotions around money and wealth? Right. Uh, we've always been really open and honest with our kids. And I have a 10 and 13 year old, they're, they're two girls, um, but we've always just kind of been just very transparent with it. And I think that's the problem. A lot of parents, you know, we try, money's a taboo topic for many families and they don't want to discuss it. Well, we're trying to kind of the complete opposite where we'll take any opportunity to discuss it. And I mean, my kids, they're even having frugal parents. I mean, they still want things and they come home. I'm like, whose kid are you? I mean, there's some of the stuff that they want, but I mean, it, we're bombarded. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we're bombarded by advertisement, especially the teenage kids, and they just want, want, want. And I think that's why it's really important for parents 
you got to be the one to teach your children the financial responsibility because as a teacher, I'm telling you, most schools do not do a good job of it. So, um, you know, they're learning from the Kardashians or you. So uh, who do you want to be their teacher? So you got to kind of be able to, to do that and talk. And, and if you've made money mistakes as a parent, tell your kids. Don't be embarrassed of them. Every kid loves it when mom and dad messes up. It kind of makes them seem human. So tell them about those stupid things that you did early on. So hopefully they don't make those same types of mistakes. And, you know, for me, I think just being open has always worked well. I'll never forget when my oldest daughter at that time, Ava, she was five. So just in her kindergarten. So, you know, when you, when you enter public school and you kind of, your eyes kind of get open, you don't just hang out with people that mom and dad do. You kind of see all different sorts of things. And I remember she came home and she's like, dad, you know, why can our house, why can't we have a big bonus room and and have more things to do and a bigger house? And I'm like, well, we could, Ava. I said, but things are going to change. I'm like, you like me driving you to school. I said, I'm teach at the same school where you are. I said, well, that's going to change because I'm going to have to leave teaching and get a better paying job. I said, you like coming home from school and your mom's here? I said, well, that's going to change too because, you know, she's going to have to get a job. So you're going to be in the after school program until six o'clock. I said, so you may have a bigger house and you may have more things to play with, but you're not going to have that much time here to play with them. And then she looked at me at five years old and she's like, you know what, dad, I think we got it pretty good. And she kind of walked off. So I just try to take that opportunity to show her that, you know, with every action, there is a consequence. So I think as parents, we just kind of have to explain that to our children that, you know, if you choose to do this, then this is going to be the result of that. I think one of your daughters actually wrote a book about personal finance, right? What was that about? Yeah, Ava did. Actually, when she was, um, I guess it, so when she was in fourth grade, she did, uh, The Financial Angel, What All Kids Should Know About Money. And it was just one of those, here's a, a learning experience for her. She came home one day, so it, before she wrote the book, I think she was in third grade, and she's like, Dad, um, you need to buy me a laptop computer. I said, I do? Why? She said, so I can play Minecraft. I said, wait, hold on. I work all day. You want me to buy you a computer so you can play Minecraft? I said, it's not going to happen. I said, but let's think of some ways that maybe you can make some money. And since I, at that point, I'd written a couple of books, and I'm like, you know, maybe it could be something you could write a book about money. I don't know. I know I have ties to a publisher. So we approached the publisher. Publisher agreed to it. Um, so then Ava did, became a traditionally published author, did a couple events, and uh, she and I actually got hired to do a speaking event at, at an army base in Wisconsin and got paid a decent amount of money. So I kind of gave her as much as I could out of that as possible just to kind of show her. And with her own money, after writing her own book, she went and bought her own MacBook Pro. So still has it, bought it in third grade. She still uses it today. So, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to teach that example, though, that, you know, she's able to earn her own money and then buy her own thing. So she definitely values that computer more than, than anything she does that I've bought her. I'll tell you that. Much better to have them earn it than just to give it to them. They don't really uh, appreciate the value of money that way, right? No, and I learned that, you know, I was blessed with my parents. I remember when I wanted a car, uh, they did it where they would match however much I earned. So summer when I was 15 years old, at that time we lived in South Florida. And uh, I was, while my friends were at the beach having fun, I worked all summer delivering and setting up appliances in the hot Florida sun where it was like 95 degrees by 10 a.m. And I mean, just sweating all day but after a whole summer i was i had i think it was like i think about two thousand dollars my parents matched it gave me another two thousand so i went out and bought a, a, a pickup truck that was my first car but i will tell you i treated that car like it was a cadillac i mean i i washed it i kept it clean and you know i really valued it whereas i had friends that were given their cars and they could care less there was they were junk and just trash and they didn't care anything about them because they didn't have to work for it. And I knew with mine, I knew how early I had to get up in the summer. I knew how much 
so I just, I, I learned a good lesson from my parents. And then, yes, I tried to pass it along down to, to my daughter that, yeah, when you work for something, you're going to value it a lot more than if it's just given to you. That's for sure. In the first chapter of your book, uh, which again is called The Wealthy Teacher, you say, why are we so broke? And one of the first reasons you say, lack of contentment. What do you mean by lack of contentment? Well, you know, there are many people, and, and, you know, I've had experience talking to people and trying to be a financial coach, and it stems down to a lot of people, they get into trouble financially because they're unhappy. In some area of their lives, whether it's their job, their marriage, some area, they just lack some sort of happiness, so they go out and they buy something to mask that. And and let's face it, it works, I mean, for for a few hours, but then you become unhappy again, and then you got to buy something else. And then you got to buy something else. If I go out and buy a brand new shirt, the first five or six times I wear it, it feels great. But after that, it becomes old. And a lot of people, they base their sense of happiness and their contentment on materialistic items. And when you, when you do that, it's just a vicious cycle that you're continuously having to buy something to make yourself feel content and happy. And it's just a recipe for disaster. You, you say another reason why we're broke is that we're trying to keep up with the wrong people. What do you mean by that? I mean, it's kind of the, the classic where a lot of us have heard, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we look at that perfect uh, family Facebook photo that our friend takes during the great summer vacation every, every year. And, uh, and it just, it's one of those that we, we try to keep up with that. Or we try to look at our neighbor who has that perfect white picket fence and the two, two beautiful kids and the boat and all that. And we think, oh, if I have that, I'm going to be happy. So then we try to keep up with that. But yet we have no clue what's going on inside closed doors where there could be debt collectors calling, there could be arguing. No one knows. So I think, you know, for me, just do what's right for you and your family. For, for some people, what my family did wouldn't be right, to have someone stay at home and raise your children, and that's fine. Uh, and I wouldn't want that. If that's not what's in it for your family and what's the right thing for your family, then don't do it. But I think that's where we just have to get really personal, and we have to, to make the personal finance, make it personal, and do what's right for you and your family and not for what, what's right for someone else. You have a whole long list of what the rich do every day that poor people do not do without going through the full list. Just what are some of the habits of the rich that the people who are not rich could actually emulate? Yeah, I mean, it, that was such an interesting list. It was written by a, someone, a guy named Tom Corley, but he did this study on, you know, what the average millionaire does compared to someone that isn't. And some of them were really, really fascinating. You know, like the average millionaire gets up three hours before work, whereas the average person that isn't a millionaire, you know, they, maybe 4% of them do that. The average millionaire reads like one, at least one book a month, whereas on the other side, maybe like 2% of non-millionaires do. The average millionaire will exercise, you know, three. But a lot of it is, and this is where it comes to, of how to, to save money and how to make money. It comes back to the behavior, and it comes back to discipline with a lot of the, the things that millionaires do in all areas of their lives. It's, it's based on discipline, that, you know, exercising, reading, getting up early. Um, you have to have the discipline to do so. But I, I found that study really fascinating because it, it kind of just showed that, yeah, your behavior does play a huge role in whether you're going to be able to accumulate money or not. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kofke. He is a financial expert, uh, author. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. And as you can see, it applies to many more people than just teachers. A website to find out more about Danny is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. 
We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. He is a financial expert, author, he's a teacher, uh, and his book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. You can find out more about him at his website, which is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. So you have a whole chapter, what you call The School of Financial Freedom. And we kind of go from kindergarten through 12th grade. So we're just going to briefly go through some of the things you talk about here. In kindergarten... Yep is know why you set your goals. So we talked about that a little bit, but what, what is the why of setting goals again? Yeah, know your why. Um, you know, a lot of people set goals, but they don't have the why behind it. It's like, why do you want to save money? Why do you want to get out of debt? And for me, I'm reminded of it. Um, I have a picture of my girls. We took them uh, five years ago, surprised them. Um, I, I sit, put money aside every single month, slowly accumulated it up, and we went to Disney World. So I have a picture of that. 
it was one of the most magical times of my life. I mean, we just had a, a great, fantastic time. And that's one of my whys for investing in retirement. That I want to be able to take my future grandkids, who aren't even in the picture yet, but I want to be able to take them and do fun things like that with them. So anytime that I want something, um, for instance, I drive a car that's 15 years old. Right? And I could justify buying a brand, uh, not a brand new, but I could justify buying a new car, right? Like a brand, a used, new used car. But, but I look at that picture, and instead of having a car payment, I would rather invest in my retirement fund to be able to take my future grandkids. So that is one of my whys. And I think, once again, it's important to set goals, but when you know your why behind those goals, then they become even more powerful, and it helps you kind of stick with it a little bit longer. And then your first grade is to get proper health, automobile, and homeowner's insurance. What, what is the mistake sure. that people make about not getting the right kinds of insurance? Well, you have to be careful. I mean, especially, you know, depending on what kind of car you drive, uh, if you can lower the premiums and take off collusion or whatever. I mean, you just have to know a little bit about the insurance. But to me, you know, that's kind of the, the nitty-gritty of it. The most important thing, and most people have those things, but I would say especially, you know, if you have a mortgage, most people have the homeowners. I think most mortgage companies require it. Same with a car. You have to have that. That renter's insurance, a lot of renters don't know. So if you're out there and you are renting a home, I mean, it's something to look into because, God forbid, something happened to the house, caught fire or whatever, then you want something to be able to replace those items you have in it. So it's kind of a no-brainer, that first grade. I mean, most people have those things, but if you don't, then it's something to look into. And I will say also, if you've had the same automobile homeowner's insurance uh, company policy for, say, three years, I would go out and get some new quotes. I recently did that. And I saved, I uh, did a combination on both of them, same company, and I saved over $1,500 a year by shopping around. So it may be something that you may want to do as well, just to kind of look around to see if you can get cheaper, uh, cheaper premiums. And then there are some specific insurance policies you think are not a good idea. What are some of those? Yeah, I mean, we see these sometimes at schools and uh, when we have the insurance people come. You know, you got the, the hospital insurance or the cancer insurance. And I, I know people that have bought them and have, you know, unfortunately have had cancer and then they got money for having cancer. To me, I mean, I just look at it. I don't, I wouldn't recommend that. I mean, I don't have it and I hope I don't get cancer, but if I do, I really, I kind of don't want to profit from getting cancer, I guess. And I kind of look at it like that. The health insurance will take care of those other things. And maybe you have disability insurance, which is, you know, a little bit down the road on important uh, insurance to have. I mean, that's just my opinion. I know some people would disagree with me and say, get those policies. But to me, I, I just feel it's kind of a waste of money. And I think you, your money could be used better elsewhere. It's better to get broader coverage than specific coverage. Like, as you Correct. say, cancer insurance. You talk about mortgage, life insurance, uh, credit yes. card insurance uh, that'll pay off your credit cards if you die. It's better to get a broader policy that'll cover you no matter what, not specific policies is what you're saying. Right. That's, yes, that's the way I feel. Correct. And your second grade is to get disability insurance. Now, you might have some disability at work, but why do you need additional disability to what you might get at work? Right, and, I, and you're right. Some works, I've worked at places that offer both long-term and short-term disability, so I didn't have to worry about it. As a teacher, um, the school district that I'm with right now, they don't offer that. So I do have a long-term disability insurance in place because um, if you get injured on the job, it's paycheck insurance. I mean, that's what it basically is. Most of us don't have the money set aside in an emergency fund that could go without a paycheck for months. So when you have that disability insurance in place, short-term disability, if you don't have, you know, up to three months worth of savings, if you have that, 
most long-term policies kick in after 90 days. Got to read the fine print, so make sure. Don't, don't, you know, I'm not, this is just a general saying, so different policies differ, but check that out. But if you do have some savings in place, maybe you stick with the long-term policy, and then that way, if you're out of work for, say, 90 days, that's what my policy would say, then I'm going to collect 66% of my salary. So it's just, once again, it's kind of paycheck that insurance. I hope I never have to use it, but it's really, really inexpensive. I think it's taken out of my check pre-tax, and I think it's like $8 before taxes. So really, I'm probably only missing about 6 5 bucks a month. So it's just kind of worth that protection just to have it in place. And the same is true with life insurance. You think a lot of people don't have enough life insurance, and should they get term or cash value or some combination of those? I mean, personally, I'm a term life insurance. I'm not cash value because the premiums are a lot less expensive. Um, the ones I shopped around for getting the term, and I would rather invest the difference. And I don't want to, you know, kind of build my retirement based on if I die. But I do have that term insurance in place um, because, you know, for me, if I die. You know, I don't want to, but guess what? I'm going to die someday. I just don't know when. But if I were to die tomorrow, uh, it would be devastating for my family. But I want to take the, the, the financial part of it away. That way, I have enough term insurance that if I were to die, Tracy would be able to stay home from work. She'd be able to send the kids to college, would be able to pay for their wedding. So I don't want, you know, if I die, to, to have the finances as part of the mourning process. So, yes, I think if you have a young family, especially really important to look into that. And once again, term insurance, you can get it for relatively, I mean, it's a pretty inexpensive um, compared to how much you can get if you die. And it's just one of those things that's kind of leaving a legacy to your family. It's, we don't want to use it, and that's where a lot of people, they don't get it. They don't talk about it because we don't want to talk about dying. But it's just one of those things that, you know, if God forbid something happens, then you know your family is taken care of. So in addition to life insurance, you say it's important to have a will. A lot of people you deal with don't have wills, and what are the consequences of that? Yeah, well, I mean, you don't want the state to, to dictate where your children are going or who's controlling this or what's happening with this type of money. So it's important to have a will, and you've got to be state-specific. We lived in Florida. We had a will down there. When we moved to Georgia, we had to get a state-specific will for Georgia. And you can go. I mean, if you can do, you know, take some quiet time, you can go to U.S. legal forums. That's where we went. Um, and then we were able to buy a package on there. I think it was something like 70 bucks. Yes, we kind of had to have, you know, a night where the kids were kind of quiet so we could redo it because it is, it's not for everyone to be able to do because some of the terms can be, you know, a little confusing, but most of us can figure it out and, and then you can get that for relatively inexpensive. If you don't want to go that route, shop around at a lawyer or, or an attorney in your town and just see. There's sometimes, I know in, in my city, there's some that run specials. You can get a will for like 200 bucks. And yes, you may think, oh, I don't feel like spending 200 bucks. But it's so important to have that in place. Once again, it's kind of like having the life insurance. We don't want to think about it, but at the same time, and if something were to happen to you, you don't want strangers dictating what's going to happen to your kids or to your money of what you've worked hard for your whole life. So it's just an important uh, financial document to have in place. So in, order, in addition to having a will and having insurance, you said to save one month of expenses. This is the emergency reserve you're talking about. And where should you put that money? That can just go in a basic savings account. Um, we're not, and later on in the School of Financial Freedom, we get into investing. That's where we're trying to earn interest. For me, that emergency fund is, you know, it's like, you know, break glass in case of emergency. I don't care if you're earning 0.0001% interest on it. That money isn't there to earn interest. That money is there that, you know what, the car battery dies tomorrow. I can go out and I can replace it and I don't have to put it on a credit card. So the emergency fund, 
It can just be in an easy FDIC insured bank account. Um, and just that way you, you have access to it. You don't want it to be too easy, but you want to be able to have access to it so you can kind of take care of those minor things. Down the road, we build up the emergency fund a little bit more. But once again, it's just kind of in, a, in a, an easy place to get in case something happens. You want to be able to have access to it. And that's why I wouldn't even encourage a CD because you got to kind of lock that in. So I'm fine with just a basic money market account in a bank that you can just have access to tied to your checking account. Now, your sixth grade is beyond that's savings for uh, emergencies. It's to save or invest $100 a month uh, for retirement. Where should you put uh, that amount? Do you, you make it automatic? How, how do you make that happen? Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you work. I mean, as a school teacher, we have 403B accounts, nonprofit. Many people have, you know, work for a business, they have 401K. So just do that. Do it in mutual funds. Meet with, you know, your HR department and just find, that would probably be the first step is meet with HR and then find out, okay, what are my options? What do we have for retirement account planning? And, you know, many people, we don't as a school district because, I mean, they barely pay teachers, you know, what they're worth. But, you know, 401k, you may even have a match at your company that you're able to take advantage of that as well. So, yeah, just in an easy 401k, 403b account. And then you said to get out of all debt except one's mortgage. What is a realistic time to do that? I mean, so you have new kids and you're borrowing to buy their stuff. What is it realistic to assume you're going to get out of all debt except your mortgage? Yeah, that's where, I mean, it depends on, first off, how much debt you have, but that's where you really have to be intentional with it. You've got to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Any extra dollar I have, and I recommend getting out of debt. There's a couple of different ways to do it, but I recommend the debt snowball, and that's basically you list your debts in order from least to greatest, and then you keep the payments, the, the minimum balance on the ones that are the greatest, the one that has the least amount on it. That's what we're going to attack first. And then when that's paid off, so for instance, let's just say it was a Visa card that you had $500 on, you're paying $50 a month. I say try to find a way to pay $100 a month on it. So find an extra $50 a month by cutting back on whatever. If you did that, five months later, that debt would be gone. But now you have this extra $100 freed up, you apply that to the next debt. And then you just kind of keep going along and doing that until all the debt is gone. And the reason I feel that it works so well is because it's the behaviors again. It's like losing weight. If you go on a diet and lose two pounds the first week, three pounds the next week, you feel good about yourself. You want to keep going. So doing the debt snowball, that's what you do. You're just building up that momentum. Saying, I can do this. I can do this. And it just helps. So a lot of it is motivation and, and reward. When you do something right, you feel better about it. You want to do more of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, isn't that kind of the way it is with, uh, with most things that we do in life? So, yes, you just kind of have to set up that reward for yourself. And just so that you see that you are making momentum. And you can see it like, oh, if I pay off this debt, I see that I'm making progress and I'm working towards that goal. And then it makes you want to keep going on and on and on. And once again, I mean, I tie it together a lot because money and weight are very similar. It's that type of thing. If you start getting in shape and you see results, then you're more motivated to kind of get up and keep going to the gym. Whereas if you don't see anything, then it's going to be tough. And that's where, you know, some people say pay off the biggest debt first. Yes, I mean, in a way that has the highest interest rate, it makes sense mathematically, but a lot of people give up because, you know, we have short attention spans. We need that instant, yes, I can do this, I can do this. And that's why the debt snowball works so well because you're building up your, self, your self-confidence saying, okay, I can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. He's a financial expert, uh, author, a teacher. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. 
Website you can find out more about him and his books is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider secured real estate income strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. He's a financial expert, author. His latest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. Website to find out more about him is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. So we were going through the School of Financial Freedom, and in your 10th grade, you're saying to pay off your mortgage. What would be a realistic time expect to pay their mortgage off? Um, you know, it varies, of course. Of but course. I, what I recommend, I, what I recommend people, to people to do is to, instead of getting a 30-year loan, loan, try to get the numbers and get a 15-year loan. That is the fastest way for the average person to do it because then you're automatically locked into that 15 years because you can tell yourself, and we've done it for, okay, you know, I'll pay extra every single month on my mortgage. Well, in February, it's Valentine's Day. In May, it's summer vacation. You know, in December, it's Christmas. So there's always something every month that pops up that prevents us from doing that. But when you kind of lock into that 15-year mortgage, and actually what we did, we did a 10-year mortgage, and we were able to really just 
just, you know, we live, we knew how much our monthly payment was going to be. Just that was part of our budget and we were able to pay it off that much faster. So that to me is probably for the average person is just to get a lower uh, term. And then many times when you do that, you're going to be paying uh, a lower interest rate as well. So it's kind of a, a win-win with that. And then your final, your 12th grade is to do whatever you want and live a prosperous life. So if you've done all these other things, you've paid your debts off, you've got a savings program going, are you supposed to enjoy the money? Is that the idea is that after you've done all these things? <laughs> Absolutely. Go to Vegas and blow it up. No. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that I think at that point, when you're at that stage, then you can really start thinking about leaving a legacy and, and you know, and whatever that may mean to you. Um, but I, I think, you know, how nice would it be to, to go to a local restaurant and, and, you know, you see maybe a single mom as your waitress and is struggling and you're able to leave a sizable tip just because you, you have that disposable income. You know, in my life, you never know what's going to happen, but we talked about it um, uh, off the air, but my dad recently had a stroke, 60 years old. And last August he had a stroke. Well, because my family has, you know, managed our money well, had no clue what would happen. This would happen. But we've been able to kind of help my parents and live with them. I'm able to work part-time right now, and I help take care of my dad in the afternoon. I mean, is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it something I planned? Definitely not. But, you know, I kind of think what, what, a neat, what a neat gift that I've been able to do that now I'm able to kind of help take care and lessen the burden on my mom. But it all happened because we took care of our money, didn't have any idea this was going to happen. But because we kind of did that with our money, then we're able to, 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 to help out and to do that. And that, to me, is kind of when you get to that point in 12th grade, you're able to do those things that when we talk about, you know, leaving a legacy, building a lasting thing, that, that is, you know, to me what it's about. So I guess for some people, they want to go blow it off, you know, have at it. You're at that stage and you're able to do that. But many of us are going to do, you know, other things with that to kind of just create and to, to keep it going forward and, and passing it along. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, I don't. I think all debt is is bad, but there are definitely four different types of of debt. Absolutely, and you know, I think it's ideal to not have any debt whatsoever. But realistically, you know, most of us don't have hundred fifty thousand dollars sitting around to buy a mortgage outright. So, I mean, there are some necessary debts that we have to have, but I think when we can avoid those payday loans, the credit cards, uh, the, the, you know, we, when we do things, those, those title shops that you see where you go in and turn your car title, we get it. those are ones that are just so horrible that we want to do our best at all costs to avoid those types of debts. When it comes to, you know, a student loan debt, I, I don't want my children to have to have student loans, but it's one of those things that for many people, they can't afford college and that if, the, if they didn't get a college degree, they wouldn't be able to be in the job that they're in right now. So I kind of look at that, that, you know, if you do it smart, then that's kind of an okay type of debt. But, um, but yeah, you just kind of have to be careful with, with depending on the type of debt that you take on. And what would be the best debt that, that actually would be make sense uh, to get into? Well, this would be something when you're, when you're doing really well and maybe like when you're in the 12th grade, 11th grade school of financial freedom. But, you know, an example of that would be something like, you know, buying a house and then renting it out. Um, because in that type of debt, then the people that are paying the rent are kind of paying the debt for you. But you don't want to do that unless you have, you know, some money set aside because if you go a couple months without a renter or something crazy happens and you need to do repairs, you don't want to put yourself in a bind. But, you know, if you have your mortgage paid off and you're at that point where you have a little disposable income, that is a good debt that, you know, you can just put a down payment on a house and then rent it out and then someone's going to pay it for you. And then after 10 years or whatever, maybe you sell the house and you make a profit and you've never made a mortgage payment on it. So that is kind of an example of the best kind of debt when someone else has taken that on for you. 
you talk about investing a regular amount. Uh, do you do beyond savings accounts? Are you in uh, stocks or index funds? What kind of place should you invest if you're having a regular investment plan? For me, see, I'm not, you know, once again, I've never taken a uh, finance class in my life. So, I mean, I'm not into picking individual stocks and all that. So I just stick with mutual funds. That kind of is the way for me. I actually, you know, have a financial advisor that I trust. I interviewed a few of them. I watched him. I got some of what his results were with others. So I trust him. I know enough to kind of monitor it a little bit. But I kind of, you know, he's more of an expert in that field than I am. But it's definitely, I don't try to time the market. I don't try to do individual stocks because, I mean, I look at it, and most people don't know how to do that. Those people on TV that are telling you, I mean, if they're really, you know, guaranteed on that, they're not going to be on TV telling you they're going to load up on it themselves. So it's one of those things that, you know, no one can really predict uh, what's going to happen with the stock market. But to me, a mutual fund, you're, you're more diversified, and I just think that's kind of the average person, the way to go. And then once again, you know, at a workplace, if you work somewhere, check with the HR department. There are a lot of people out there that have 401ks that, don't, you know, they have a match, a free match in there, and they don't do it. Um, I worked for a company once that they matched up to 6%. So if I invested 6%, they matched 6%. That is free money, a free money that they're helping me save for retirement. So definitely, if you work for a company that has a 401k and they offer a match, man, a free match, go ahead and, and just take advantage of that because it's free money being handed to you. And yeah, you're not going to see it now, but 20, 30 years down the road, it's going to help you when you retire. We have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of summarize for the people who are teachers but who are not teachers as well uh, what you're basically recommending as a way to create financial freedom for yourself? I mean, I, first off, you know, we talked about the school of financial freedom. That is kind of the path that my wife and I have followed. I, I just, you know, for me, my most important message for others is just you can do it. I mean, there are so many people out there. We read so many studies. There's so much bad news of, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. And I get it. Yes. I mean, it, it isn't the easiest thing. You do have to be disciplined. But the bottom line is that you can do it. I mean, if this 42-year-old school teacher can do it, you can do it too. Yes, you're going to have to have a plan in place. Yes, you're going to have to say no to certain things. You're not going to be able to have it all. But you can do it. If it's that important for you to, to gain financial freedom and to gain control of your money, you can do it. If I can, you can, but you've got to have that plan in place. And then, yes, you're going to have to have some discipline and some sacrifice, but it definitely is possible. Very much. Uh, we, some good advice there. My guest this hour has been Danny Kofke. Uh, he's an author. He's a teacher. Uh, his newest book is called The Wealthy Teacher, Lessons for Prospering on a School Teacher's Salary. I think we've learned a lot about that uh, this hour. Website you can find out more about him is wealthyteacher.weebly.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Danny. Uh, thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.